guys, welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name is Jed, uh, and you are the congregation. Um, I just got back from a baby shower. The It's still... Dude, every time I look at my fiance's stomach and see a baby in there, it is the craziest thing in the world to me. It's still... I don't know if anyone else out there has experienced that, but it is the most surreal thing in the world. But I love it. And this thing is coming soon, you guys. Like... Like, between uh, the 28th of October and November 15th, I will have a baby. Holy cow. So, uh, prayers, you know? And now's a good time to sign up for that Patreon. Patreon.com slash church and other drugs. Um, me and Joey Svensson figured out how we're going to get the bonus content. Uh, we're going to share a Dropbox. So, I'll be able to just transfer that content over to my Patreon. So, it's a great time. Um, you know, help help a brother out. I'm about to be a dad, and life's gonna get real hard real quick. Uh, but today, speaking of Joey and Pastor with No Answers, uh, me and Hane, um, good buddy from Pastor with No Answers, uh, we did an interview with these uh, two guys, Mike Austin and Greg Bach, uh, who wrote a book called, uh, or contributed and wrote a book called QAnon, Chaos and the Cross, Christianity and Conspiracy Theories. And you know, your boy is down with conspiracy theories. So uh, this this interview was recorded, I think, in like March, uh, and I'm pleased to finally release it. Uh, let me know what you think, uh, and send me an email, churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com. If you want to be a part, if you want to help me out, if you want to just support what I'm doing here, uh, patreon.com slash churchandotherdrugs, and then storefrontier.com slash churchandotherdrugs for all cool t-shirts that I made. Uh, and enjoy the episode. Everybody still good? Still good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, we're super excited to talk to you guys. It's something that we've actually talked about here and there on the podcast. Um, the mixtape version of Pastor with No Answers is a, there's a team of us that are kind of working together, and we all come from different backgrounds. But I think this is something coming off the pandemic, especially that is it's pretty hot, and we've all experienced it in certain ways. So. Um, before we just kind of jump in, if you guys would just kind of introduce yourselves, talk about your project, and then let's just get into the meat of it. All right, I'll jump in. My name is Mike Austin. I'm a philosophy professor at Eastern Kentucky University in Richmond, Kentucky. Um, and yeah, most of my work, like writing and speaking, is on ethics, cultivating character, that kind of thing. But I'm also interested in some of these kind of cultural, ethical issues. Um, and so that's that and a few other things kind of led me into this project with Greg. And my name is Greg Bach and I teach philosophy and religion 
at the University of Texas at Tyler. <clears throat> and like Mike, my area is ethics. And I got interested in this project on conspiracy theories. Actually, I've been interested in many years on this uh, topic because I have friends who believe these things. And so I've just, that raises questions in my mind and how to talk to them and how to answer them and what I should believe for myself as well. So this is kind of a process. This book was a process of working a lot of that out. Awesome. And how did you guys get connected to one another? Cause you're in different spots. Yeah, we met, I think through an evangelical philosophical society conference. I think the first time I went to Greg gave a talk on, uh, Joseph Butler and forgiveness, if memory serves correctly. <laughs> um, so then we started talking, and um, and I actually had a friend of mine referred a publisher to me about this topic, like doing a single authored work. But I just felt like it was beyond my, yeah, you know, I just didn't have the relevant expertise to write a whole book myself. And then Greg and I, I think Greg came up with the idea to do this edited thing, and so he had taught a class dealing with this for several years, and so yeah, we sort of jumped in together. Gotcha. So you guys got connected through this, uh, what you call it, evangelical philosophical community? Yeah, it's just a, like a kind of professional philosopher society. Oh, cool. Um, if you gotcha. have basically, you, yeah, just a couple theological commitments, and that's we, we kind of got to know each other there and some other okay. philosophy conferences since then. Um, gotcha. Different organizations. Yeah, so it's been good. I always love meeting. This is the third uh so I'm, my name is Jed. I host uh, another podcast called, called Church and Other Drugs. And recently, too, I just spoke with another um, Christian philosophy professor. And I love the melding of those two worlds because, like, mm-hmm. you know, stereotypically in academia, it's like it, once you get into, you know, the old joke, like once you start going to college, you stop believing in God sort of thing. So it's awesome to meet uh, Christian philosophy professors. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. 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 Awesome. So you guys, this is a compilation of essays. Um, and what is the, like the time frame in terms of these being authored? Is this all stuff that's been written recently or is this spanning over multiple decades of these essays? Yeah, it's all recent. So we, we talked, Greg and I basically, we, talked about this and sometimes you just so they all were written just for this book sometimes you send out this general call for papers to people but we decided to invite people first and so anyone in the book is either somebody that we knew and invited or were referred to Um, so yeah and we you know basically we just let people decide their topic Um, sometimes we invited them on a specific thing they had expertise on and if we already had somebody covering something then we tweak things so that there wouldn't be a bunch of overlap on the topics, but yeah, so it's, everything was written. Gosh, I don't even know the timetable now. You know how time is these days, but um, within the last two to three years for the book, all Christians, all Christian authors. Yes, uh, and from a broad range of traditions. So some from sort nice. of mainline, some evangelical. But yeah, so you you can find yeah. So one that's one thing I actually like about it is from the spec theological and even political spectrum, um, people coming at same issue but with different commitments so um yeah but all with a kind of core commitment to the christian faith just uh just as a a extremely rough broad baseline so like going into this project or i guess even this this era of our culture what were y'all's personal proclivities towards conspiracy theories in general on a personal level 
Greg, you go first. Well, for for me, it's I mean, there's intellectual curiosity, but also you know concern because I mean the book is written by Christians for Christians. That's that was our aim here, and it, it's written as hopefully to be a helpful guide to people in the church who are dealing with this, either pastors or family members, people who are on the fence about it. We really wanted to really serve the church with this book, and so there there's a lot of curiosity that motivates it. Um, I mean, when we're talking, we can get into like the definition of conspiracy theories if you want, but but conspiracy theories, you know, there's there are fake, they're false ones, and they're ones that are true. So it's it's not as simple as you know just saying, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. We can just dismiss that. So it's it's actually pretty complicated and makes for really interesting philosophical research. Which ones would you just off the top of your head, Greg? You say, well, this this conspiracy theory is obviously bogus, but this one could could be true or has some truth to it. Can you give us examples of some of those? Sure. The standard example of a true one is Watergate. And I would say the false one is lizard people, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like something a lizard person would say, Greg. I got to be honest. (laughs) You got me. (laughs) I live in the mountains, Greg. So we're always hearing about Bigfoot. People are talking about Bigfoot all the, all the time. So yeah, no, that makes, that's makes a lot of sense. So when you guys started putting these essays together, was it really driven? It was, because Greg, you had mentioned that you've been interested in this for a while, but was the was it QAnon? Was it the pandemic? What really you guys decided? Hey, we we've got to put something out now. Like this, actually, the point. Yeah, the book was in process. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. Before January six, and so I mean, it it really got public attention. QAnon got public attention after that, but the book was in process before that. And wow. for for me, it's just you know having friends who believe these things. They believed these things uh, for years, and before before QAnon, there were there, there's been conspiracy theories going on for decades, actually centuries, uh, and so it's it's become a more recent phenomenon just because it hits the news now, and, and you know, of course it makes a big impact with the insurrection on January 6th and all that. But um, yeah, I've, you know, having people that you love and care about believe these things really um, pulls you in. Yeah, you you could. I mean, a good argument could be made that Christianity itself was a conspiracy theory at one time. Right, like among the Roman Empire and sort of things, and and among the Jews, um, so that that's kind of what I was going to ask was so you know, what are some more recent historical? Because I had my broad question uh, that I just have written down is like, what do we think is going on? And so, <laughs> dovetailing on that, it's like, what is there a recent historical precedent of? something pre-social media that could maybe compare to what is going on right now i guess i guess specifically we're talking about uh evangelicals western evangelicals buying into conspiracy theories i guess we're 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 funneling into that uh specificity um so yeah can y'all think of any yeah i think you know, one of the chapters in the book is by a historian who discusses some of this stuff. And you can kind of go back to like, well, when I was in high school, um, dating myself, like the there was sort of the satanic panic. Um, well, started before that 70s and 80s, and even into the 90s. I remember I was actually right after college, a missionary in Hungary um, for a year, which was awesome. But remember my roommate, American on the same team got like this, you know, this was prior to email, even like this copy of a, uh, like the, uh, basically is um, Xerox copy of stuff about how Procter and Gamble was Satanist, right? They had Satanic symbols 
the, the owner and I mean, it's like this whole thing. Um, and yeah, so there's that and things like that have kind of trace, you know, Greg mentioned centuries. There's even, it's hard to know if it, I mean, it's sort of conspiracistic thinking, even back in the, like people blaming the Jews for the plague back in, in those days and mm. stuff in the 20th century, right? There's a lot of, um, that Christians have fallen prey to right around, um, really around the Jewish people often, which is, um, you know, strange historically and also obviously bad ethically speaking, but some of those things. And I think that, I mean, they're, yeah, there are, but there are conspiracy. I mean, people kind of talk about this. I mean, whether the nineties when Hillary Clinton said, you know, the accusations against her husband were a vast right wing conspiracy when actually, you know, they just were things that were happening. Um, so you can find them right. claims right. And the left, nobody has like a monopoly on it, but some of those things jump to mind. You said the word blame a couple of times, Mike, do you think that that is the core root is, are people looking to blame or to exp- or explain, but um, I don't know if this question is making sense. Yeah, no, I think, I, you're, you I know, think there is something driven. there. There's like this. Yeah. I think there's fear that often there's a good and evil kind of thing. So one reason that, QAnon, I think, has maybe a little more plausibility for Christians and especially evangelicals is a lot of the language that's used is similar, right? It's this grand story of good versus evil. And look, we know as Christians, there are, there's evil in the world, both from humans and from, you know, supernatural um, entities. And even, I would argue, sometimes the language about the powers and the principalities in the New Testament includes um, sort of human powers, maybe systems or governments or those you know kind of things. So all that to say that, um, yeah, so I think there's something to that, right? I mean, and we see the world's not the way it should be, and we want to blame somebody. And sometimes these conspiracy theories give us a hard target, where in reality, it's we just can't know some of those things, right, given our human limits. But I, yeah, I think that's a big part of it for sure. Do you guys see that even in the scriptures? Because you were talking about some things in the past, you know, decades ago, centuries ago. But are there places in the New and the Old Testament where you see the early church or you see the ancient Hebrew culture buying into this sort of stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, does anything jump to mind for you, Greg? I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, what jumped to mind, I don't know if this answers the question, but one of the chapters, the last chapter in the book is entitled, Jesus was also conspired against, yet he was without sin. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's that. There's another chapter in the book that claims that all Christians are conspiracy theorists. And the idea in that chapter is that uh, there's both a good and a negative side to it. Like the, like the good conspiracy theory, we can get into definitions if you like, but the good conspiracy theory would be like the Trinity. The Trinity is a, is a small group of three, you know, that have a plan, a redemptive plan for all of human history. And that's a conspiracy of, of a source, but a good one, right? But normally when we say conspiracy theory, it has a negative connotation. And so the example of that for Christians in the Bible would be something like the devil and his minions having this plan to whatever, whatever he's up to, right, would be a type of conspiracy theory. But the idea, you know, Jesus was conspired against by, you know, even members of his own group, right? to turn him over and yet how did he respond and i think that's really where we want to go with the book is to try to communicate even in, despite all of these ideas out there how should we as christians respond even if some of them are true most of them are not the ones we're talking about but right. if some of them are true how should we as christians respond how should we that oh i'm sorry jed 
Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, that's I, I like that as a follow-up question as well. Um, yeah, my... It, it's... it's So, some of my... Where I'm coming from, and this is like... This is my, my pure observed phenomenon. is like, you know, I... Early on in all the people I ran with, you know, got into reading, I think when I was in middle school, reading Behold a Pale Horse and like Bohemian Grove. And like we were all into conspiracy theories. Right. And we were the the kooks out there believing this stuff. And then one day I looked up and realized that I was the sanest voice in the room. And I was very confused. And so since then, I've been like, because I remember this this really blew my mind was, I mean, a you know car completely rational otherwise 42 year old person that i was talking to and just casually mentioned how oh yeah absolutely like hillary clinton drinks baby blood and i was like but you don't believe that and she was like no I, that that is true and i was like <laughs> oh man what happened where how did this happen Do, have y'all through these essays have y'all been able to distill a uh turning point like at what point hmm. did this start to go so so sideways and then um a, a follow-up question too and this is kind of uh philosophical is what phenomenon what is going on to where you know to me it seems so obvious the warnings in the hmm. scriptures over and over about like false teachers, false prophets, be careful. You're going to be led by persuasive language. And, and it's like, to me, I, we, this movement of Christian nationalism and idol worship of specific individuals is so plain to me that it's, this is wrong and you're being led astray. What kind of is going on behind the scenes that people are just unable to realize that? I mean, Obviously, you can't answer with any assurance, but just, you know, something to ponder. Yeah. Yeah, just to um, speculate. I think Mike, there's a, like, the first part of the question, there's sort of this confluence, and Greg can add to this too, obviously, but I think, you know, the QAnon, like, the first drop with 4chan was, like, 2017, and then it moved to 8chan, and so, but you've got that, you've got the Trump phenomenon, you've got the... um real or not a felt sense among many kind of conservative Christians, evangelicals, fundamentalists, that sort of this shift of political and social cultural power, I guess, even though maybe, yeah, I mean, all those things, um, and you know, that, so I think there's the fear, the insecurity, like the church in America, broadly speaking, has just been used to like, not in, like being a, comfortable like having power mm. political cultural economic mm. you know our, it's not like the church of you know the paul under an oppressive empire so sometimes i just feel like those things play into it i think there are i mean i'm actually writing working on a short book on christian nationalism this summer just kind of a like a 90 100 page explanation and critique because there's all this scholarship about it but not a lot of pot, you know something that could actually help someone in the pews and it's weird the the overlap between these two worlds, right? When you start looking um, QAnon and the some of this Christian nationalism stuff, and so what's happened? Yeah, it, it's just yeah. I look at it and I just think, how do you, how can you th really think <laughs> these kind of things when there's not really 
not only there's not any good publicly available evidence, but there's good counter evidence to a lot of these claims. I mean, QAnon predictions that have just proven false and we just ignore it and go on. It reminds me of the end times people that come, you know, that the world's going to end October 20th, 1994. Right. It doesn't. Yeah, yes. And oh, I mean, you know, it's just like, <laughs> how do you engage someone rationally and, and on the basis of evidence when some people just seem beyond the reach of that? And I think part of the appeal is in the, the you know, maybe this is recent, maybe it's not, the marriage between evangelical Christianity and right-wing politics. Mm. And, and so you see that, well, um, in recent years, and you also see, we have, there's a chapter in the book um, called The Religious Rhetoric of QAnon, and that author, Chase Andre, brings out really, really clearly how, in, in an analysis of the Q drops, on how he, he's using, Q's using religious language, which really appeals to religious communities. He's using right. the language of spiritual warfare, which is something the church has been doing for a long time now. And that, I think, like you said, that this false prophet who's bringing, who's, who's catching people by by appealing not only to the political associations, but also to religious language, is really confusing. It's hard for people to discern. And it needs, yeah. it needs clarity of thinking. It needs critical thinking in the church. And I think that's where philosophers can come, come in. It feels very cultish. I mean, it's, I feel like you almost just um describe you have a devin a definition of a of a cult would you classify something like this QAnon movement as cult as a cult or a cultish well is yeah I, I see what you're saying i don't know if i would classify it as a cult but it it definitely seems to have that appeal yeah i mean it's similar like q to like a david koresh I'm going to use very specific language that's tapping into very emotional places. Ingrained. It's manipulative. It's manipulative. Very manipulative. Very manipulative. So yeah, it's, yeah, maybe cult's too strong of a word, but you know, definitely cultish. So, I would say, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you, in in y'all's assessment, do you think it is? Did you watch Into the Storm by chance? The HBO documentary on the Q. That's mm-hmm. a really good one if you have it. Um, they. Okay they lay out their argument for who they believe Q is. And I was wondering, like, um, do, do you think this is like the mind of just a very next level internet troll? Or do you think this is like a designed uh, cultural dismantling attack from even potentially like foreign powers type of thing? Yeah, that's just I don't. Yeah, Greg, you go. <laughs> I, I don't have a, I don't have an answer to that. I think the chapter on the religious rhetoric of of Q and on is a, a good analysis of it. And according to that author, it sounds like it sounds like this is one or two people, right? Yeah. Whether there's a foreign conspiracy in it, I don't I don't know. Um, but it seems like yeah, it, it, it seems like and just the way it's described and the way I've seen it, it looks like it's just there's a lot of people like Q out there spouting this right. stuff on these social media platforms and just how it happened q's message started to get you know the spotlight and and it took off i don't i don't know other than the happenstance how to explain that and how how mike said um i like how what he said about the the church had gotten comfortable do you think mm. something like this is a necessary culling like a necessary uh product of getting lax and comfortable and something has to come along to kind of distill it down to Hmm. okay we're gonna find out you know the sheep and the goats sort of thing yeah that's a good question i don't know if it's 
I mean, I think the kind of refining and persecution and calling, as you put it, is a necessary thing in his, whether this is one of those or not. I mean, I think the important thing, and I guess in this sense, maybe yes, not that it's necessary, but it could be a good result. It's like, it's easy. It's kind of like the way evangelical that term gets used these days, you know, sociologists, it, like the, it means more political. So people that self-identify mm-hmm. that way, you know, don't even regularly attend church services or something. So it's, there's like this weird sort of uh, cultural marker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that, I think, I think it's part of that. I think it, it was easy to be a cultural Christian in America for so long, but now it's like, yeah, I mean, I, we just, I think that's one thing that comes out in the book that wasn't even intentional is a lot of these themes about humility, forgiveness, how to deal with anger. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus didn't retaliate when he was conspired against. It's like, we, you know, C.S. Lewis, I love this phrase that, you know, God's makes, he wants to make us all into little Christs, right? That those virtues of mm-hmm. Jesus, the intellectual and moral virtues. And so that's the proving ground when you go to the, to the, the Bible, it's the fruit of the spirit as a result of genuine faith. And if the fruit of, and look, the fruit of QAnon, it's not just kind of the weird beliefs. I mean, you know, the guy in the past month that killed his two children because he believed they were, they were lizard people in the Bay Area, I think it was. And the fruit of yeah. it is, you know, often violence. And I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's fracturing churches, families, community, you know, I was on a call on, on a different thing last week where a pastor talked about basically losing his brother-in-law to this originally QAnon. And then now he said, he's like into stuff that makes QAnon look like child's play. So, mm. so yeah, we have, there are definite concerns about that. So I think for us, it wasn't, the motivation wasn't so much the calling as you put it, although that would be part of it, but more just, equipping people who are maybe entertaining these ideas or have loved ones who are, are, are into them and just trying to, yeah, trying to help people deal with this issue. Cause it's not going away. That's the the sad thing. Right. Um, right. It's going to, it's resurfaced now and it's going to get stronger as the election comes. Yeah. That's so that equipping piece. I think that's really interesting. And I think as people of faith, there is a, a moral and ethical piece in us that needs to be cultivated. I also feel like, as a history major, I mean, I was, I graduated in um, 2000. So the internet was just kind of coming on the scene, but I remember taking a very specific class that this is how you do research. This is how you determine whether a piece of information is important, whether it has truth to it, or whether this is just some bogus idea. We were actually taught how to do critical research and thinking. So I think for this audience, we have that piece, which I'd love to hear you talk about as far as the critical thinking research piece, but what are the things ethically and morally that we should spend time cultivating within ourselves that will send those red flags up so that, because I'm sure there's listeners that are flirting with some of these conspiracy and they probably don't even know their conspiracy theories right now, but that's, that's a pretty long question. Um, so maybe take at it first from a practical research piece, but then what's the What's the internal pieces, people of faith? Hmm. Yeah, maybe Greg can. Start yeah, I, I think we can. Part. Sure, I think we can both speak to. I think we're both interested in the intellectual virtues, and that's one thing that we can cultivate in our lives to help us discern truth from error. Um, but the chapters that we contributed, um, Mike wrote one on humility, and I wrote one on on anger, 
And I think this can speak to the to the moral concern. But also there's some overlap here because, you know, in Matthew 7, it says you will know them by their fruit. And, uh, you know, right. the trees produce good fruit. So this is this is moral and epistemology together. I think that's really, uh, really key. But for, for me in my research, this is my background as well as research in anger and forgiveness. So applying that to this project, um, I came to a thinking maybe conspiracy theorists have an anger problem. Um, mm-hmm. Through my research, you, know, you, you watch the videos that, on January 6th, and it looks like there's an anger problem going on. Right? Um, this is but, a small one. But through a my double. research, I, I realized that it's, it's both sides. I mean, you, mm. you've, got, you've got people in the church who believe conspiracy theorists, and they're very angry, and sometimes they can get, things can get very heated. But on the other side as well, you've got people who, who dismiss these people. They're, they're upset that they're, they're tying the gospel to um, politics or de- tying the gospel to, I don't know, flatter a theory or something else like that. So there's, there's this contempt on the other side. And so it was interesting just to explore that and to, 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 to really see, you know, if it doesn't even, it's not even just conspiracy theories, it's politics in general or any other area. If, if, if anger rises to a certain point, it interferes with our ability to love our neighbor and our enemy. Mm. And that's a sign that should be a sign that something's gone wrong. If you're listening to people that are telling you, that are that are telling you not to love your neighbor or kill your enemy or or whatever that that's a clear sign you've you've wandered into falsehood yeah 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 how about those practical pieces too like for example you know 20 years ago you, you kind of knew if something had credibility because it was put out by a university press like you could actually read or you could but now particularly with social media Twitter looks the same, no matter if it's a university putting out, putting it out or it's Q putting it out. It has the exact same look and feel. How would you encourage listeners if you're flirting with an idea that sounds pretty crazy, but if feel is is touching something in you, how would you encourage them? Like what sorts of research should they be doing before they just buy into something like this hook, line and sinker? Yeah, there's a sort of critical thinking piece to that that overlaps actually some with my chapter on humility. And I think the critical thinking piece is, you know, there's we do have a chapter in the book about like evaluating sort of stuff online. But it's like looking at the source doesn't, you know, just because someone's an expert doesn't mean they're infallible. But, you know, there's certain kinds of like they're just ethical and critical sort of rational standards of research that go on. So if somebody's you know, you can trace back a source, someone's making a claim about politics, and it's someone who, this is their life's work, that's more plausible than, you know, nothing against insurance agents, but some insurance agent sure. who just does a bunch of research online. So it's the source is, a. I mean, you want to trace it back, is the source credible in the sense of somebody who, you know, the research is vetted? It doesn't mean you can't, quote unquote, do your own research, but... Um, but couldn't couldn't that, that even be, uh, couldn't that even be as far as... Like for example, at a small business at one time, we used to joke, hey, let's just put out voted <laughs> voted number one, voted yeah. by who? Our wives <laughs> voted were number one. So we're going to put voted number one to create some sense of false credibility. How do we even sniff that out, Mike? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think we just, you know, I've even in the past week, I found myself, I saw something on Twitter. I don't even remember the topic, but it like, it struck a chord in me. I was like, yeah. And then I was like, well, now, wait a minute. Here's a picture. Here's somebody. I have no idea who this person is. I'm not going to retweet it or, you know, and I didn't want to spend the time to drill down and figure out. So I just left it. But I think that's really what happens a lot. Like you said, there's an emotion gets struck. 
But yeah. that's one thing we should do is when, whether it's really positive or really negative, that's not a red flag, but it is just like a, it should be, we want to train ourselves where that's a reminder. Okay. I feel this way about it, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's true or false. I need to look into mm-hmm. it a little bit more. And I guess I would say the humility part is important here because I think Christians and in America, in one sense, there's like this anti-intellectual history we have and that it's good and that there's like this independent thought thing that's part of that. But the bad part is we think we know more than we do. Um, and, right. and so the humility is just like, we're all fallible. Um, I could sp- spend the next 20 years researching, I don't know, something about the 2020 election or particle physics and just it's outside of my area of expertise, you know, just I, I shouldn't have strongly held beliefs about stuff like that. So I think humility says it's okay to suspend judgment. Um, and if it's something that really matters to me that I think is important, then that's worth drilling down, looking at publicly available evidence. That's a key thing for me is a lot of these claims are just made. And and I had, you know, I have had people point me to websites and things about the 2020 election conspiracies there. And like, and then I do broader research once or once or twice. And there are pretty clear explanations from reputable sources that's publicly available evidence. I'm like, this is just it's not good. So we, we've got to learn how to. Just because someone says something doesn't make it evidence and it can sound really plausible. You can tell really plausible stories about things that fit how things appear. Then when you go one layer below, it's like, but these are just empty claims that don't have any grounding in fact. Now you can't, I mean, so think about, this is an example I've used from recent, the past four years. There's good evidence because they found memos and emails that CNN was trying to kind of do anti-Trump stuff um, for a while. And then of course, we know more recently, same thing with Fox, all the texts and things with Tucker Carlson. So that's publicly available evidence. We can all see it. And yet those things happened. But we don't have that with a lot of the Q, with the QAnon stuff or a lot of these conspiracy theories where it's just this really intricate story. But there's no, it's not evidence that publicly available we can look at together and, and vet and interact about. Um, they're arguments, but they're not. <laughs> they're kind of free floating without any foundation. So I think that's one key thing, or a few key things actually. Yeah, and, and let me. Let me, no, let me I guess one other thing that made me think of this with. And this is something that I think is for all of us, like the humility part, it's not just for people who buy these things for someone like me who tends to be more skeptical. And I, and rather than just when someone says, well, I believe, you know, someone in the pew next to me says, I think that, well, I don't know the lizard people thing so out there, but some sort of QAnon belief and instead of me just saying, Oh, that's ridiculous and dismissing them, you humble myself, engage them about that. Right. If someone I've got a relationship, I'm, I'm willing to do the work, right. If they're willing to, think through things together and rather than just argue, but, but work together to figure out what's true. But if the things I believe about conspiracies, um, if every, all these sort of weird, what we might think of as initially as weird beliefs, if they tend to actually just affirm everything I already believe about politics, theology, that's kind of a red flag that maybe every time that I go against the consensus of experts, whether it's conspiracies or the efficacy of immunizations or whatever, if it always fits my pre-existing beliefs that's a red flag that maybe something is going on here besides just an honest seeking of the truth and that's for all of us right to think through yeah and the another practical thing is there you know there are paid news sites but there are a ton of 
and I guess you have to say that you're trusting these sites, but there are a ton of really good paid news sites that will give you a breakdown of the biases of the articles. So it'll either have a pie chart, it'll either have a bar thing. Hmm. Like, this is da 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 da. Um, my so I have a a hopeful prediction and a massive fear about <laughs> going into this election and AI and what's going to happen. Did y'all happen to see the uh, the Pentagon bombing tweet that that made the stock market drop 45 points in six minutes? Hmm. And it was an AI generated image and it got shared through a Twitter account called Bloomberg something. It was a verified Twitter account that was made to look like Bloomberg News. It was a picture of the Pentagon smoking and uh, 500 billion in the stock market was you know, wiped out in minutes. It came back, but it's like, okay, this <laughs> is going to be an issue. So my hopeful prediction is that perhaps this, so, you know, and once again, this, we're going to hit a zenith of it's going to get worse before it gets better, but maybe we are going to have a great reset about the things that we trust online. And this is my hopeful <laughs> prediction is that it is, you know, AI generated content will become so ubiquitous that you just cannot trust what you read and see on the internet. And hopefully, most likely after years of falling for it, people will be like, okay, or we'll have to come out with, you know, some sort of blockchain watermark system for actual images. But like this, this, this stuff is coming. It's happening. It's happening now. Um, I mean, the, did you see the, uh, pictures of Trump being arrested that were AI generated. Yeah, I mean, there's just and like that was shown to me from a client I worked with. He was like, Trump got arrested on Tuesday. I was like, this was before he got arrested. I was like, no, he didn't. He's like, yeah, he did. It's right here. I was like, hmm. oh no, <laughs> like that's not real, my friend. Hmm. Um, it it you know, that's a scary. That's a scary thing coming into this next election. Um, it will be the next big issue, right? Um, hmm. So I'd like you to touch on that. And then from a philosophical perspective, I had this discussion with a Christian the other day on Facebook um, about politics as well, where I, I kind of posed the question. He was talking about, you know, whatever, uh, voting for a particular person. And I was like, as a Christian at this point, is it not more ethical to simply withdraw and just not participate? Mm. Is that an ethical option for Christians? That if I don't, I don't support the system in general as it stands right now. So is it morally and ethically okay and spiritually even um, to just say, I'm just going to bow out? I don't want to participate at all. Well, I don't know what you mean by bow out. Uh, not but vote. Not do just not vote. I see. Yeah. Hmm. Because I think as Christians, we're called to engage the culture. And I know there are Christians out there, Christian authors, uh, like, uh, what is it, uh, Dreyer, who says we should withdraw now because there's a coming storm or something like that. I just don't think things are that bad yet. That we need to withdraw. I think we still need to be engaged voting. Um, I mean, I get why some people don't vote. I mean, the lack of options, really. Um, but that even if you chose to do that, I don't think that should extend to your disengagement from culture and especially loving your neighbor. I don't. 
I don't, I don't, I think that would be problematic. To your point about AI and and concerns about the inability to to know for sure, I think this is just to Mike's point into his chapter. We as Christians are just in general need to be more humble, and this isn't something that's new. Go back to David Hume and his skepticism. I mean, there people believed all kinds of things. They still do. They believe things that don't have evidence, and and we just need to be careful with our thinking. And I think maybe this is a call to the church and others to revisit what it means to think carefully about things, to think, to be critical thinkers. Um, in the book, it also talks about biblical illiteracy. That's another issue. But I think as philosophers, what we can do is contribute to critical thinking in the church. And this would be maybe a call for that. Yeah. And I understand the, I think I agree with Greg. Well, I'm sure I do about the engaging culture, but the voting thing, I, yeah, I, that's, I don't have a problem with somebody saying I'm not, it goes against my conscience to vote for either candidate. So voting a third party or write in or just not vote for it. I mean, I think that's a live option. You know, I mean, there's mm. of course Anabaptist tradition, right. That would, you know, what is that? That's, uh, so just the sort of like the non, like the nonviolent, the peace churches, like Quakers and um, okay. others who are, uh, they're kind of, I don't know if withdrawing from culture is a fair way to say it, but at least they're not taught, taught like caught up in the political stuff, like voting, like, like uh, we are, like they would not vote for either just because they think either is an agent of violence. And I mean, I was talking to my wife yesterday. It's like, here, here we are again, where it's like Biden and Trump or maybe Biden and DeSantis or who knows what will happen, but it's just kind of like, it's really hard for me to get excited about, well, about either option. And I have some really deep concerns about about some and i've i've been a registered republican democrat and independent over my 30 years of voting whatever and i'm just staying independent but but yeah i think it's a hard question because we and it's one that we have that so many centuries of christians didn't even have to grapple with right they just didn't live in a democracy um it's just kind of the government is what it is the king or the empire and you know we have we had a good chance of being until we kind of made common cause with empire starting with Constantine and then different governments since then. So, yeah, I mean the AI thing, I really hope we just get to a point where, where it's kind of like, like where online stuff that's not vetted is sort of like the national Enquirer, you know, was in the 80s and nineties where it's just like, everybody knows it's not true, but some people kind of just buy into it, you know, where most of us are like, well, that's just, just not credible. So yeah, there's going to have to come a point you hope either where it's just like informational chaos, like utter chaos, or yeah, like you said, there's got to be some kind of vetting or it feels like we're in chaos thing. right now. It feels very much yeah, like I chaos. Know. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. The thought that it could be worse with generative AI is a little bit scary or a lot scary. I mean, it's, I mean, the, especially, I mean, this, once again, wildly speculating, but really not even that wildly. I mean, you know, we're, especially within the next year, we're at a point where videos will come out of Trump and Biden doing and saying things that they did not do or say. Yeah. And that's a big, big problem. Um, Yeah. I I, I wanted to. Yeah. So on kind of um, the voting thing. This is a quote of Jesus's that is often thrown into the ring in these kind of conversations. And I just wanted kind of your simple interpretation of it when he says, give to C- render to Caesar what is Caesar's. You know, some people will take that as 
don't even worry about the government. Pay your taxes, just kind of live your life. Don't even worry about the government. Um, what? How do you philosophically interpret that? Or how should, uh, how? yeah, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the immediate context has obviously to do with taxes, um, but maybe you can draw like a more, yeah, I mean, I think Christians over the centuries have drawn from that and elsewhere that there is a an obligation, right, to the government to, you know, people who are ideally at least supposed to be servants for our good, right? Um, sort of providing order, security, um, benefits to citizens. So, yeah, as long as it's just and we participate and cooperate. But, I, yeah, I guess to me it's a, it would be a step too far that based on that you're obligated as a Christian to vote. Because, I mean, what if it was like, you know, some dystopian future where you've got two, you know, where the two major party candidates are basically going to be you know, just, you know, I don't know, mini Hitlers or something like that. It's hard to say yeah. I'm obligated as a Christian to vote for one of them. So I think there's depth. There's got to be like some kind of boundaries around what that would mean. Um, and if, if the federal government, you know, the federal elections are so bad, that doesn't preclude me from voting in my local elections or participating in local politics or, you know, all the sort of things that, that can make a difference where we're at. Um, and I've, yeah, you know, we moved here in 2004. So going on 20 years, this Richmond, Kentucky, smaller town, about 35,000, but we've been here long enough now that we know, you know, go anywhere. We know people usually, and yeah, we're starting to like be able to have a, positive impact through our church and the community and that's that's good right that's what christians should be doing so we don't want to i'm with greg it's yeah i wouldn't i don't want to withdraw and just have a separate christian everything we've you know we already have too much of that i would argue we need to actually be in and in relationship with people in in our communities making a difference and then who i vote for president is important but it pales in comparison to how I treat my next door neighbor or how I help my mm. city deal with homelessness or drug addiction or job stuff or whatever. So I think there's room to disagree about um, whether we should vote and our obligations in the public sphere there. Uh, I think what that passage, I think Jesus is not writing in the context of a democracy. And so your application to our situation mm-hmm. is, is stretched here. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but also in, in first Peter, He's talking to a, pers- a church that is persecuted, and he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He goes on to say, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. So it seems like the message of the New Testament is specifically to the church. It's not for them to be involved necessarily in political affairs. That's not to say we shouldn't be. But the focus is that we should we should, you know, be about our business, which is the kingdom business. And that other stuff's going to take care of itself. Don't, I mean... I think this speaks a lot to the conspiracy theorists, to the QAnon followers who are who are bringing together this religious language, the religious understanding, and, and these political ideals and agendas. I think that's where this language is applicable here. It's saying, yes. don't don't get your priorities mm-hmm. out of out of whack. Our first thing, our first call is to love God and love our neighbor. After that, you know, we can vote however you want to vote, you know, with your conscience. Mm-hmm. But it seems like when you watch January 6th and you you see the QAnon shaman praying in the Senate chambers, you think there's something's gone wrong here. Something's missing, right? Something, <laughs> somebody's priorities are out of whack. And I think that's where the, these passages help us. 
bring in Dan, because you both have mentioned the word community a lot and that, that local piece. And I think that's so vitally important. And even, even as, as spheres, you know, we have our, our zip code, our zip codes, and then we move into our more inner, inner circles and engaging that community for folks that are listening that may be in a church community or um, they see their church community, that tighter community moving into these areas. First, two questions. First off, what would you rec- what are your recommendations for how do we humbly love that community? How do we engage them and, and talk about these types of things in a way that is not requiring them to defend themselves and take hard stand? My father had a saying as a kid, be careful what you make somebody defend, because <laughs> if they defend it too hard, they will own it. Their pride, their lack of humility will not allow them to ever come off the thought. They will just entrench themselves into it. So how do we engage? let's just start the small level, these faith level, our faith communities. How do we engage folks that are moving that direction in a way that with humility and love, but then where's the tipping point where it gets so toxic? It's we, we have to remove ourselves from those small communities. Well, at first I think we have to make the commitment to engage. This is one topic that we're not doing at least very well. And so when you have somebody in the pew next to you who believes these things, and you know that person, I, I think the first chapter in our book speaks to this well. You, you want to listen. I think we've already mentioned this. But the second step is you want to praise. It means you want to you say, what is it about that point of view that they get right, right? What is like their concern for the nation or their concern for falling prey to falsehood or something like that would be something that a conspiracy theorist might do well. But then you don't stop there. You have to move in. You have to press in. That's the third step. So you want to press in with an open mind. You want to you want to take their view seriously. Uh, what I find many non-conspiracy theorists are doing is just dismissing it. Like I don't want to talk to those people, even though they might be members of my church. I don't want to engage that. So we don't even do that. Or we're on the other extreme, right? Your church just is, you know, a supporter of those points of view. <clears throat> so that would be, I think, the first step. Yeah, and then probably you should just buy our book for everybody in your church. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, nice. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Greg and I can, you know. Shameless plug. Beach. I love it. I love That's it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Buy a beach house or something. No, we don't get you don't get rich off philosophy books, but um <laughs> and yeah, we um yeah, that's a joke. But no, I love it. I think um yeah, there's this Oh, I lost my. Oh, well, basically, yeah. I think the engaging part's important. Now, when does it become like to go too far? Like for yeah. me, if it's someone in my church, I'd engage them. But for me, the kind of the tipping point is when we're talking, and and like Greg said, we affirm, press in, and I say, why don't you know, give me something I can read or watch that you think like really is a, a really excellent example of a solid argument for what you're thinking here. And I do that, and we interact. And then I do, then I want them to reciprocate and I give them uh, you know, kind of a counter argument I've found in a book or online or something. And when someone's not willing to, like if I'm willing to read their stuff and then they're not willing to read my stuff, mm. it's hard to know where you go from there. Because I think right. we want to point, we want to point, like we want to point it away to where we're face to face trying to have this argument to the, a, a picture where we're side by side trying to figure out what's true together. And so if I can come with somebody with openness and humility and say, look, maybe and it could be this is the rare occasion where there's a real conspiracy here, right? Uh, and if that's true, I'd want to know it and, and try to engage. But um, 
But if not, then you want to walk with somebody through some of those hard issues. But if the people just aren't willing to engage, it's hard to know what to do. And if I was in a church, like there's, what's the guy, Greg Locke in Tennessee, um, who's a, he has spouts a lot of this QAnon stuff. You know, he's, how was he? He's like gone off on Biden and the Democrats as demonic mongrels who are pedophile. I mean, just all this stuff. Like if, if my pastor started doing that, I'm gone. I mean, cause that's just, that's not the gospel, right? That's just something else. A, a um, major leadership issue, you know, in the community. Yeah. 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 Right. And so, um, so yeah, I think, I think, and I think the danger of this stuff that all this, the politics, the Christian nationalism, conspiracy theories, and this even goes back to the give the Caesar thing is that one of my real concerns is that this becomes all consuming and we're not doing the kingdom work of loving our neighbor, of helping in our community and yeah, of engaging in politics as well. But people go down these rabbit holes where they're spending all their emotional and intellectual energy on other stuff. Um, and, you know, the person next, you know, their next door neighbor or their people in their family need their presence and it's not there because they've gone down this rabbit hole. And that's so, I don't know where, you know, as men of learned science, you fall on the, um, on the subject of powers, principalities, background, background, spiritual warfare sorts of things, but I'm... So, you know, it's a a pet theory I've been working out for many, many years, but I I truly do not believe that people are inherently dumb, that they're stupid, that they're just easy to get the the wool pulled over their eyes. You do not believe that, Jed? I I don't. I don't. I I, I mean, that's a bold bold statement to some, but... Sure, I would disagree, but but keep going. by, By that, what I mean is people do not do things without a payoff. And if okay. there is such a thing as spiritual warfare, if there is such a thing, I mean, I mean you can, you can use different language for it if you want, you know, ego, whatever. Um, there is some sort of background, internal, uh, spiritual, mental payoff for people engaging in these things. And if there is some sort of, power that is plugged into it they're receipt you know there's like i mean when you look at movements and cult movements and stuff it, it seems like this wave of energy and i mean do, do you kind of get what am i explaining it correctly but it's like what do you see like it, can we point to a hunger and payoff for believing these things and if so like how do we feed them the right thing like if like what you know if their circles what is the square hole that they're trying to jam themselves into and like how do we point them to the square hmm. yeah i think part of like what leads people to get into this stuff it, it's a good thing about us uh, being god's image bearing god's image and that we humans at least part of us that image bearing part naturally desires truth we want to know things right that's part of how god constructed us to know him to know the universe he made and creation those kind of things and then this is just one of you know like all of our god-given faculties they can go wrong or be directed at the wrong things or be um distorted or yeah I and mean, look as i mean i take the i think the like i think there's really there is really a demonic realm. I take those parts of the Bible to be like 
indicating that Satan is real, demons are real. As I said earlier, I think I think powers and principalities can also mean kind of systems taking on their own life. But yeah, the payoff is that, I mean, you know, we want to be in the know, right? Like we'd like to be, I mean, this is the negative part. So I'm, I know what's really going on, right? Um, I'm not one of the sheeple or, I mean, you know, people can get really extreme about this where the pride, where pride comes in. Um, the payoff. Yeah. What is the payoff? Because it's, I think it's a similar thing to like, you see with people that get obsessed with end time stuff. There's like this similar pattern of obsession and like getting at the truth, but then, yeah, I don't know. Greg might have thoughts. I kind of struggle with that. I mean, it could be like as simple as, you know, I'm a saints fan. It's like, it's like my team is winning. I mean, I guess there probably Mm. is just some very, very basic I'm in, you're out. Therefore, I will succeed socially in my pack of uh, primates. I mean, I, yeah. I think the I am your alpha, Jeff. I think you're onto something as far as the payoff. Um, so, I, guys, I, I, uh, I work in a, as a firefighter. I'm a professional fire captain in the city of Asheville. And I see this happening all the time with groups of people. Groups of people just want to belong. And one of the easiest ways to belong is to have a pessimistic view together. And I call it, I, I teach guys, I call it the power of faults or the, the power of negative intimacy. Let's, let's decide somebody, Ooh, like whether it's a chief, whether it's a battalion chief, someone that we don't like, something that we think is wrong, and let's create a narrative about it so that we can just feel close to one another. It's, it's, it's a way to feel close. Uh, I think, I can't rem- remember the name of the, of the neurologist, but he says, he calls negative thoughts Velcro and positive thoughts Teflon. And that we know in neurological science that a negative thought, it takes less than a second for our mind to latch onto it, to think about it. But it takes over 20 seconds for us to have a positive thought, a constructive thought. We have to sit in it for over 20 seconds before it really takes a part of our, our mind, of our soul. But I think that the power of that negative piece, that's the point is that at least in my experience, when folks have a common enemy or when folks sit at a table and I call it sport bitching, they can sit and they just <laughs> sport bitch together. Yeah. It has, it has no real goal. There's, there is no payoff other than the fact that the sport bitching is a, is an itch that they just like to scratch yeah. and they're all scratching it together. And the, it's like poison ivy. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Do you think that could be a potential payoff? Even that's really no yeah i think that's really interesting i hadn't thought about that before a negative community but i think it it matches up with what we see in christian circles with this culture war mentality hmm. right it's, again it's us versus them and this my team right this is right. my team um and i think the the bible i mean there is spiritual warfare talk in the bible but what we've done is i mean it's, it's one thing to talk about the supernatural realm and what's going on there it's another thing to put a name to it, whether it's a real or fake, you know, secret society and say, that's right. what we're r- working against. So um, I, I, I get the appeal of that. But I also think what I've identified in, in the last few years is just the evangelical churches I've grown up with have have been full of this culture war rhetoric. And I don't think I think this plays into this. And this is not a helpful idea. I think we're now seeing the results of that. But. Who doesn't want to be on the side of the, the good, right? In a battle right. for all eternity, you know, that 
we're, we're on the winning side. We are on the winning side. But what does that look like? And now nowadays, this looks like we're fighting whatever conspiracy theory. And that just seems wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I, all of that, I, um, I agree with. And then you, it really was a perfect storm. Then you compound it with people had literally two years to do nothing but sit online (laughs) and work themselves up and work themselves up. I mean, it's just like, Oh goodness. And I I think, um, you know, there may be, I can't remember who it's attributed to, but you know, we're, we are a generation without a united struggle. We didn't, you know, we had Afghanistan, but that was far from a united struggle. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have not had our, our world war two. I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. I'm just saying we, we did not have this united common enemies and we're, you know, we, we have it made. We're a first world country where I can press a button and whatever food I want comes to my house. So I, I think, I think the, this, this, these are the things that just reaffirm Christianity to me because it's just, to me, it's so obvious to see the human condition in action. And it's like, okay, you give me everything that I need and could possibly want, and I am still dissatisfied, and I will still mm. find a way to mm. marginalize, to other someone, to be hateful, to be selfish, and it's just like, okay. So mm. the the cure to what ails me is not physical. <laughs> it's just not. Mm. And it, it's, it's just... It, blows my mind how how obvious it can be sometimes and and yet i'm still you know i will go and be selfish in about two hours you know it's like i'm not immune to it either it just reminds me that i need you know an intermediary savior i need a spirit to to kind of cure me of this but yeah i think i i think everything all of y'all said i think it's 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 almost like we're we are reaping what we have sown culturally and it's this is just kind of Unfortunately, um, it might just have to get to a point of critical mass and then hopefully, you know, we'll get another hundred years until the next one, until, you know, the good Lord comes back. And that's just. So, so Greg and, and Mike, this is a personal question for you guys. Do you guys have any personal experience in buying into these things in your past? Is there anything does that make does that make the question make sense? Or can mm-hmm. you speak from your own experience? Put you on yeah, the spot. Yeah, I can't. No, I'm just trying to think. Like, yeah, I I can. I think for a little while in the '80s, you know, so I grew up Roman Catholic and became an evangelical in as a senior in high school without knowing that's what I was doing <laughs> through through young life, and so I think for a while there. I always like, like Greg, Greg mentioned, I was always sort of averse to the culture war. Well, not always pretty soon became averse to the culture war mentality. Um, sure. but I think there are times where it was, it was easy to identify Christianity with certain political views. And of course there are things that fall out of our faith, but, but, you know, I remember like being a newlywed and going to church and like the Christian coalition voting guides would you know be hand passed out as you walked into church and some of that stuff. So I think it, I think I always had a little bit of skepticism. So there, I can't think of a time where I was like, this is a conspiracy, but I think there are times where I probably would have been more susceptible to that. If somebody had like made a case for it. Um, right. For me, it's more even today, like I've got friends from church who I don't 
we haven't discussed it in depth, but in passing, when the mention that I was working on this book, um, they're like, well, is it kind of pro or con? I said, well, it's, you know, it's mostly skeptical. Mm. And I could tell by their reaction that maybe they were hoping for something different uh, or another. They, they wanted some yeah. support. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm like, well, another guy said, I kind of tend to think there's always conspiracies going on. I'm pretty non-confrontational in certain ways, unless, you know, just, so I, I didn't like drill down with him then. Maybe we'll have a conversation now that the book's out, but. But yeah, for me, no, not really. Um, hmm. That I can think of. You're in the hot seat, Greg. The hot seat, Greg. Right. So conspiracy theories, no, I don't think I ever. Well, I, again, like like Mike, I, I, when I started in my faith journey in the '90s, talk radio was a big thing. That was when that started. Yeah, oh yeah. And so that, it was almost like part and parcel. You became a Christian, you start listening to talk radio. So <laughs> so if, that's the closest I got, I think. But then, and I, and I, and I was like, wow, this is a, I, I started to buy in to some of that right-wing stuff. And it wasn't until maybe a decade later that I started to realize there's, there are more political perspectives in the church. And I started to, you know, stop just listening to one side, which was an echo chamber in the 90s. And now we've got different echo chambers, but there's still echo chambers. And we, I think that's the challenge is to, to expose yourself to other perspectives, especially within the church. It's mm-hmm. not just all one political point of view. And my, my political journey has kind of gone from one extreme to, you know, back and forth, kind of like a pendulum. I consider myself in the middle now, but to other people, I'm probably, I don't know, conservative or liberal. Sure. I mean, who knows from yeah. what perspective, but yeah, not about conspiracy theories. Yeah. You know, hearing you guys in this, this, this conversation earlier, I think, I think for me, and it's the, it's the pitfalls. I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm, I'm the contrary. I'm the natural contrarian about almost everything that pushes me to a place of deep cynicism. So I'm almost, <laughs> I'm almost the opposite side of the same coin. Like neither is helpful. Neither is, is, is doing anything positive, you know, um, to the conversation. So yeah, this has been really an interesting conversation for me to say, okay, because I'm the guy that would just immediately dismiss. Oh, well, that sounds, you know, of course, lizard people sounds ridiculous, but even the small, just my natural cynicism is like, oh, that's, that's gotta be bullshit. There's no way that that's accurate. There's no way that that's, that's true. So much, in fact, I'll be so cynical that I will just dismiss and can dismiss the relationship to say, I'm just, I'm just not going to entertain this person anymore. And and I miss a huge opportunity to have a conversation, just like you know, as you guys were were sharing earlier. Um, so, for those of us who have friends and family who are into this, how can this specific book? Because I know we're kind of running running a, on the end of our time here. How can this book be helpful to them? And how do we how do we introduce these essays without? Hey, just read this. <laughs> yeah. No, no relation. Would- how, how do how do we properly introduce something like this? Yeah. I mean, I think maybe if, depending on what's going on with the person, maybe just like one of, if you're going to use this book, just pick one and to start there and then just say, here, read this. Like maybe you could read one together and see what their reaction and give yours. But I think one thing the book has, uh, there's a communication professor that talks about this, like another approach. So there's the first chapter Greg mentioned that talks about how to engage someone who maybe is into this stuff. Um, or really specific, clear, practical. It's called, um, I can't remember the name of the chapter. It's Tim Muehlhoff is the, the author of the chapter. But he talks he talks about his own experience, a colleague who, when they when she found out he was going to get, I think it might have just been a flu vaccine. I don't even think it was COVID. Um, but this just was like, 
kind of freaked out on him. And, and he was, his point was he could affirm her concern for his well being. Like if I believe this was dangerous, I would want to tell my family and friends too, but they've been able to engage over it and maintain a good relationship. But it's basically, you know, what, find out what they think and why with openness, kind of share what you think and why affirm what you can affirm the common ground, make the relationship central and don't, don't make the relationship hinge on this. So there's some mm -hmm. practical tips there, but I think too, and this goes back to the other question. I've become more and more convinced that a big part of this that, that draws people to these kind of things is that need for community, right? So, but, and so that means that there's something going on in a lot of our, or something not going on in a lot of our churches. Um, and it's more difficult in the U.S., I think. Like one, I've shared this a few times. Greg's heard me say this probably four or five times now. But like we've become part of a church plant in our town, about two years old now. But it's been intentional to live in the same pockets. So there are like five or six families that live within, a, you know, half a block or a block of each other here downtown. So we're like actually, you know, we're actually like have community on a daily basis with people. Um, and I think that I think a lot of Christians are looking for community in Christian nationalism, like or in this or QAnon group or end time stuff. But God's already provided a community. It's not a nation. It's not QAnon. It's the church, right? So can we foster that in our churches? Because to me, that's a big, you know, maybe this is a, I'm not trying to be snarky, but a, a kind of an immunization against some of this bad thinking is in community um, with each other, where I've got checks and balances and where I start thinking something that's off you know, my brothers and sisters can, can reel me back in. And I, we have that kind of openness and deep relationship where that can happen. So anyway, those are the things that jump to my mind about it. I don't think this book is something you hand to a conspiracy theorist and just say, read it. I don't so, think that's, so I shouldn't just send this to Jed today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Jed, I got something I want you to read, buddy. I, uh... Yeah, I think it's something that you could read with somebody who's on the fence hmm. or really wrestling with it. But in my mind, when we created this book, I thought it would be a toolkit for church leadership, for pastors, for families, for people who have people they know and love who are are, are in this stuff. And I think that's what it's designed to be. I mean, there there's a, a nice appendix in the back that has like logical fallacies that you can identify to avoid. So there's lots of great things in like... Like Mike said, that there are contributors in the book from all different disciplines, communication theory, history, biblical study, lots of philosophers. So all kinds of things to meet all kinds of needs. But yeah, I don't think it's something you just hand to somebody and say, read it. And I, I got to say, in the coincidences of all coincidences, I was just re-skimming through the contributors. And Dominique Turnipseed is my high school good buddy that I have not seen him in 16 years so i was like wow oh, awesome hey yeah good old so dom if you're listening what's up buddy <laughs> yeah dom you may want to give jed a call he's kind of I getting know. off the rails here i'm getting off the rails right. put, me, put me back on that's so funny yeah so i don't i don't know if we've actually said the title the book is QAnon: chaos and the cross christianity and conspiracy theories Guys, where can listeners find you? Where can they purchase this book? But then where can they find you, like specifically, if they want to follow in on, on the on the work that you're doing? Yeah, the book's kind of, you know, all the standard places, Amazon, the publisher, indie, you know, anywhere you can buy books. Um, for me, probably the 
like I kind of keep Facebook for like people I actually sort of know, but I'm on Twitter at Michael W. Austin. Um, so I talk about my work a lot there. I've got a website, same thing, michaelwaustin.com. Um, and yeah, I like, I mean, I do like engaging people, um, in, in that form. Um, the one, you know, if it's like random anonymous trolls, I just tend to ignore a block, but none of your listeners are like that. So there's not yeah, a single person that I always call a troll. <laughs> <laughs> Except Jed. it's such a broad listener base guys like it's it's it, it's wild yeah, we, exactly. we have, <laughs> except for Jed. Yep. it's such a broad listener base i mean we from conservative even right wing in from evangelical to catholic to a lot of folks that are they've walked away from their faith but there's still something mm-hmm. that's there's still something that they're and a lot of you know a lot of folks a lot of their um disillusionment are things like this that have happened, mm-hmm. you know, consistently mm-hmm. through their faith, um, their faith journey. And they've just like, you know, I'm, I'm out, I'm out, but, but they're still yeah. here. So, um, I'm loving that we're bringing voices like yours because it's just going to reach such a large community. How about you, Greg, where can, where can folks connect with you and, and are you accepting trolls? <laughs> I'm not, uh, I'm not yet on social media in this way. So that that might change in the near future, but uh, I've got several other edited volumes on anger and forgiveness. So if that's something that your listeners are interested in, mm. recommend looking me up on Amazon. Yeah. Fantastic. Awesome. Jed, you got anything really? else for these guys? No, really enjoyed it. That was super fun. Yeah. That was super yeah. fun. Thank you yeah. for in, indulging all my uh, queries. I really yeah. enjoyed it. It was very challenging for me. I really appreciate you guys um, because I, I come from the opposite side of the of the coin, really. I can be too cynical. Um, hmm. so this is, it's a gut check for myself. So thank you so much. Um, when we close out, if you can leave your browser up, it's going to upload for about 30 seconds, just getting all of our audio uploaded. And then, um, either Joey or one of us will let you guys know when this thing airs. So you guys can let your people know when it's going to be coming out and you can post it over your social mic and we can just start gathering your trolls. That's right. That's good. <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, appreciate it. It was good. Thank you. Yeah, great time.
Just great.